Hello, and welcome to the FreightVine podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist at DAT Freight and Analytics, and today I'm joined by Bill Dreigert, EVP and Head of North America for Flexport. I seem to have Bill on the FreightVine podcast every two years or so. In October 2019, way before most of us could even spell pandemic, we discussed the uberization of freight. In November 2021, in the heat of the pandemic, we talked about how execution has become more important than planning in transportation. Now, a lot has changed over the years. Not only has the market changed dramatically, but Bill has moved on from Uber Freight to Flexport. Initially, he moved there to reboot their truck brokerage service and is now leading their North America operations. With the recent acquisition of Convoy's technology stack, Bill is back in the familiar position of starting up brokerage operations from scratch, something he did at Uber Freight and prior to that at Coyote. We talk about how technology has changed the way brokers operate, the opportunities for Flexport with the acquisition of the Convoy tech stack, and how he sees the market evolving in 2024. Following my conversation with Bill, I'll discuss the truckload market update. So let's get started. Hi, Bill. Welcome back to the FreightFine podcast. That's good to be back. Yeah, it seems like every two years. I invite you back. It was, uh, I, I was just looking at it. It was in October of 2019 before we could spell pandemic. Then in the middle of it, in November of 21, we talked about how execution is more important than planning at that point, which I still kind of believe. And now we're post-pandemic. So we're kind of bookending the whole pandemic thing. A lot has changed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot has changed both in the industry and for yourself. You joined Flexport about six months ago in the spring of 23. Tell us a little bit about Flexport. And your current responsibilities. Yeah, absolutely. So I joined in May of this year, and I came on originally with the mandate to reboot our truckload capabilities. So at the time, I think it was recognized by leadership that Flexport had underinvested in trucking, despite trucking being a significant percent of the total revenue and cost basis for moving global freight. Uh, Trucking represents about about 20% of the revenues of Flexport as a company. Yet from an investment perspective, it had been underinvested. I think historically the company had built out a, a solid capability, but not really treated it like a distinguishing capability and not invested in the tech or with people to a level that I think the scale of the operation warranted. And that was something leadership recognized and uh, said, hey, we, we need to go big here. Wanted to build out brokerage capabilities, wanted to expand the carrier base, build more technology uh, that was carrier centric, but also to shore up our internal capabilities. So, when I came on, that was the original mandate. Since then, uh, you know, I know we'll, we'll probably get into all the changes that have happened at, at Flexport, but my scope has expanded. I now match uh, all the North Am organization. And of course, with the recent acquisition of Convoy, that really accelerated that initial mission. Uh, we'll, of course, get into that as well. But yeah, ultimately, I came on board because of all my background in trucking. Right. Flexport really has like nailed the ocean side, nailed the air side, but needed a bit more uh, investment on the trucking capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought of Flexport as ocean and air, the global stuff. I never really thought of them as domestic, domestic surface, certainly. They had it there, but was this, was your position a new position? The head, the, the position you're in now was new, I assume. You didn't assume it from someone. Yeah, that's right. I well, They've always had a trucking capability and a trucking team, uh, but I think my coming on board is really just kind of up-leveling the right. focus and the investment and uh, 
And again, it's, it is an ocean and air centric company, but every one of those ocean and air moves ends on a truck. So truck sure. has always been part of the equation. And although it's, you know, say 20%, and that's just the domestic destination trucking of the spend, I, it's a significantly higher percent of the problems, right? In terms yep, of right, right. You know, where, where do things break down? It's like on this plane and on the, the boat, less so. It's like when it arrives at the port uh, and all of the complexity post that. And so yeah, it's all the, the handshakes. Yeah, it's a percent of the pain. It's much higher than <laughs> I think the percent of the the miles. Right. Yeah. No, that that makes sense. Now, is it truckload only, or truckload LTL? I assume only in conjunction with international, or does it also have within the U.S. moves as well? Where's the focus? Yeah, so good question because this is this is an area of expansion for us, particularly with the the convoy acquisition. So, the majority of the spend today is drainage. Uh, as to be expected, because ocean still is the core uh, or the right. largest segment of, of the business. But we also have significant cartage, significant LTL, and we do have direct truckload. Now, there's truckload that comes as part of transloading operations, where you know, we're just putting it onto a truck off, off the boat, or we're transloading it onto a truck. Uh, but there's also pure truckload. And I think this speaks to the how well the Flexport team has done in just building relationships with clients and building technology and capabilities that are very client-centric is that we have clients that rely on us for 100% of their ocean or international moves. And then when they do have a truckload move, right, they look to us first. Okay. We, ease of use. So we do have some pure truckload uh, and it's not an insignificant amount. I mean, it's enough that if I were you know, building an independent brokerage, I'd be pretty happy to be able to start, right? So that nugget of existing truckload is definitely a uh, an accelerator as we think about expanding in that space. And we will expand in that space, particularly with Convoy acquisition. So you've been in intermediary, trucking intermediary companies for, gosh, 20 years now almost. If you look at the cut chunk of time at Coyote, then your chunk of time at Uber Freight and now at Flexport, the industry has moved dramatically. Um, when you came into Coyote, you, it was I think it was very instrumental in changing the way that a lot of companies, shippers viewed brokers. And you kind of changed that. And Uber Freight was again, another transformational because it was more data-driven, focused on the smaller carriers, the tail end of the carriers. How have you seen it change since then? How have you seen this intermediary change since you entered the market in what, 2006, 2005? Yeah, 2006. So Coyote Logistics started in April of 2006. And there have been several significant technology shifts in the space. Yeah that are driven by kind of outside factors. And I think, uh, and I'll kind of walk through that, but starting with Coyote, Coyote was very much a technology driven company. It actually started originally to be a tech company. That was just a vision of it, you know, way back in the days, MIT in 2002 or 2003. And I, you know, it is, it is interesting because now he, he built Mastery, which is a tech driven company. It's kind of the vision of what Coyote was originally, which was, it's going to be a broker platform. But, but if you look at the, tech ecosystem and where technology was more broadly at that point, nobody was thinking about apps for putting technology in the hands of truck drivers. And there was actually just, it was still early in terms of cloud technology for like operating platform. People weren't really building, people just started to build like front ends to be able to log in and track your shipments. And, you know, that had maybe started two to three years earlier, but it wasn't really norm in the industry yet. Um, and so Coyote's, it was a client application, right? It wasn't cloud-based in the initial implementation. 
And it was all focused on efficiency within, again, within the four walls, making the broker more efficient. A lot of the same thinking, though, has just uh, evolved since then because there was matching capability. There was a lot of pricing capability. Bill, Coyote had a huge human component, didn't it? Yes. You have yeah. floors of, of young, aggressive college graduates. We did, but we were also very obsessed about using the tech to make them more efficient, be it in selling or operations or execution, because got it. a big part of the thesis was you've got carrier sales reps and that's a limited resource. You can only make so many phone calls. So when I make a phone call, uh, how do I make that phone call most efficient? I make it most efficient by presenting. I'm on the phone with the carriers based in Ohio. So I know they run to Pennsylvania and I'm getting real, I'm getting capacity information, right? And saying, Hey, you've got a truck in Allentown. And great, I've got a load in Allentown. And that's all popping up in real time. So it's about making that interaction more efficient so they're not working off of uh, notepads. So yes, it was it was human in the loop. It was always presumed that there was going to be sure, a person sure. there. Uh, but how do you make them more efficient? And, and then how do you automate? You know, we were very thoughtful about trying to move through that maturity of automation, meaning how do we yeah, yeah. package up these tasks and then how do we automate them? It just... Um, you know, you were, we were limited by the technology at the time, but that was always, I think, part of it. How do you compare that with Uber Freight? Because that seemed to be even more tech forward. Was it the technology yeah. that enabled the change or was it the technology for Coyote enhanced the, the agent, but for Uber Freight, it almost replaced? Or is that a, is that a fair statement? Yeah, I'll frame it up again around the, like the, the technology shift that happened, which was the adoption of apps, right? So yeah. Coyote started in 2006 uh, and just, you know, a little bit of history, right? The iPhone launched in 2007 and right. at the time it was like, it was 2G, which was like five kilobytes a second of data, right? So you couldn't do much. It's hard to imagine life without that. Yeah. And, you know, it was 2011 that Uber launched and we, the idea of an Uber for freight first came to the market around 2012. And we were considering that at, at Coyote. And we launched a product called Coyote Go, which is a mobile application. But I remember at that time, it was a big question of like, well, do drivers even have smartphones? Because adoption right. was still not that high back then. Uh, now you don't even think about that. You just assume yep. everybody has yep. smartphones, right? And even when we started Uber Freight, the driver adoption was still in the 80 percentile range. It wasn't like everyone had a smartphone uh, at that point. So... You know that was a uh, that transition had to her happen in the market more broadly, and I think Uber was this like uh, eye-opening experience for a lot of people. It was like, oh, I can start to you know move technology into the hands of the the drivers, or I can I can operate a real-world operation with through an app. Like that whole people just hadn't had models for how that might work, and Uber really kind of like defined a model from how that might work in the yeah. real world. So. I think that's that was the biggest change was you know to your point about people are not people. Coyote had the constraint that we we didn't expect that we could push automation into the hands of the, the carrier. That was never a conversation until the very end when these apps started to come to market. But you had already built a company around a very specific operating paradigm, and so transitioning into a paradigm because the big shift that happened with between Uber Freight and Convoy was in, or Uber Freight and Convoy and versus Coyote is that. When we started Uber Freight, we were very focused on, we're going to put apps in the hands of the trucker. It's going to be totally automated. They're going to hit a button book. It's going to be that total seamless Uber-like experience. 
And then that presumes that the, an end state without a carrier seller in the middle uh, of that conversation, right? So you're starting from a position where you're already assuming that you're, gonna, you're not going to have this carrier seller versus starting with the whole you know, army of carrier sales personnel that now you, how do you, you know, it's, it's just a, you're starting from a clean slate. I think that was a big yeah. difference with, with Convoy and Uber Freight. And then, you know, so we're building tech in the hands of the driver, but there's a lot of, there was a lot of nuance to actually enabling that. A lot of things that we had to do from our process perspective right out of the gate that were very difficult for a traditional provider to do. Right. Um, things like upfront pricing, which was a big point of debate uh, early on. Yeah. And now it's, yeah, kind of expected. So you think Uber Freight, I mean, you're focusing at the driver uh, rather than the dispatcher. Is that a fair statement? And so do you think that changed the nature of the truckload market? Because we saw the number over the pandemic, the number of owner operators surged. Yes. And uh, do you think that would have happened without Uber Freight or those type of apps? Because it lets them bypass the role of a dispatcher is less critical, especially for a smaller fleet. I mean, the the one we don't talk about a lot here in the equation is Amazon, right? Because yeah. Amazon also released their app. Very similar concept because I was... You know, part of that, those conversations, and right. actually had launched the brokerage in Amazon. And when we were launching the Relay app, it was a very similar type of thinking. Uh, and they have certainly brought a huge population of uh, small carriers and owner operators into the market. And I do think that, again, it's an owner operator or a small carrier now. Yes, it, you absolutely have easier path to market. You don't need a dispatcher. The the purpose of that, t- and that was even back in 2012 when I pitched the idea at, Co- at uh, Coyote that we should build a uh, our Coyote Go product, which was our application. It was with the intent that we would make it an Uber-like experience. And I had a whole, I remember the slide, it said, you know, dispatcher with an X on it, right? Get rid of the dispatcher, you can work directly with the driver. So, you know, you're basically putting the decision-making capability in the hand of the driver and the technology can do all the kind of the routing and the, uh, you know, effectively dispatching or allocation between different drivers based on how close they are to loads. Like all of that could just be handled by the tech stack. You wouldn't need a person in the middle. And then as an individual owner operator, it's not just that. I mean, there's two things that make you very inefficient as an owner operator. One, yeah, you just don't have the sales team to go out and get those opportunities and to get the right prices and negotiate everything. And then you also, you know, you, you can't drive utilization of your vehicle. Uh, in the sense that you just don't have that density of freight uh, behind. So Convoy and Uber Freight both solved that problem for the owner-operator, which allowed them to compete. When you keep saying Convoy, do you mean Coyote? Uh, no, Convoy and Uber Freight from a network okay. perspective, right? In terms of the tech, you will get into that, but you know, Uber yeah. Freight and Convoy, obviously, you know, going head-to-head in the market, very had very similar, came at a slightly different, but the whole idea was empowering that owner-operator. There's a huge focus on owner-operators, small carriers. I thought... Uber Freight was more focused on enabling the the driver, making them more productive, putting it in their hands, and Convoy was more helping shippers navigate better. It, was more, it seemed like it was more shipper focused. Am I wrong there? You own the stack, the tech stack now. so you- Yeah, it's interesting um, because in terms of the tech that was actually built out on both platforms, the driver side, the carrier side, was, I'd say more significant investment out of the gate. Because that was where more of the it was it was really about taking this underutilized capacity base, really empowering them, and then providing that that creates then benefits to the shipper. So, yeah, I'm I'm really focusing on one side of the market, but on the shipper side, the the pitch out of the gate was all of a sudden you have access to this long tail capacity, so it's new capacity. In many ways, it 
the, the more the technology developed on both companies, and particularly I think Convoy, this is what I'm you know very excited to talk about all the capabilities they built. But I think they were a lot more thoughtful about how to leverage this this capacity base more similarly to how a traditional asset player might might operate, okay. meaning creating day routes, creating continuous moves. Of course, the trailer program that they they built out, all of that allowed them to operate and perform better than a traditional asset provider, while also having more flexibility in that capacity because it's it's much easier to scale it up and down based on need and market. Um, and having better instrumentation because every one of these drivers is managing the transaction end-to-end within the application. And you have incredible visibility then because you're you're you know you're getting the GPS signal from the phone, which is another thing that continues to improve with every you know new phone release and new not new generation. And you've got perfect milestone data, and you and you're also requiring the drivers then to upload the POD to get paid. So you just have the quality of that transaction and the load life cycle becomes so much easier to manage uh, in that environment. And that is where the shippers saw so much benefit. So I do think, I mean, it's interesting that you frame it as such because fundamentally, I would say they, they had a very similar approach. We both, Uber Freight and how Convoy built tech was very similar. Um, I think Convoy probably has highlighted a lot of the shipper benefits and packaged it up uh, in ways that, that may be more uh, like yeah, you know, they've packaged up the shipper in different ways. But uh, underlying that, though, is this uh, owner-operator capacity base. And they're, let's say both tech stacks are approaching that slightly different ways or have historically. But yeah, they're still an incredible investment on, on Convoy and just really empowering that owner-operator and keeping them moving and keeping them engaged, you know, paying them quickly. All that is still critical for the model to work. Okay, so let's talk about the, the, the acquisition of Convoy technology. So Convoy, did they, they technically declared bankruptcy or did they declare that they were just stopping operations? When was that? Was that in July, August? Oh man, I have to go look at the calendar now. It's been about six weeks, I believe. I can talk through the, the process a bit. So the announcement, um, I think we all actually learned around the same time, uh, which it was a, it was like a Wednesday well, I think it came out like a Thursday morning, the, the article. There was like a Freight Highways article. I, I'm sorry, but it's hilarious that, that you remember the day of week and roughly the time, but we don't remember the date. You know, <laughs> you remember the day of week. Yeah. I don't think I'm gonna... Things blur when you get as old as you. Well, weeks right now are like months. and <laughs> It's crazy. Well, yeah, just the pace of how this all kind of has progressed. Um, yeah, and then Ryan and I both had a... Right, you know, both knew Dan, and of course, I've known you know Convoy for quite a while. And so, first thing uh, I did when I heard the news was uh, reach out to Dan and say, "Hey, like, what's mm-hmm. you know, what can we do? Uh, what's what's going on here?" And you know, Dan kind of shared the, the context, and um, we started talking about how like what could a potential deal look like. And we ultimately, of course, were able to work out a deal. And for the reason that. Flexport ultimately came out in front on that. Is I think we had great relationship with Dan and you know Dan, uh, all of the convoy team. I think more than anything, just want to right. find a uh, a use for this tech. This because you know, they built incredible tech. I mean, they want to make sure it lands in safe hands. That it has next life, right? That we can take another shot at this and whittle it down to the core of what works and kind of build up again. So I think that was of course top of mind. It's how do we find the best landing spot for the tech 
and I think comfort, the fact that we had a prior relationship, there's also definitely some okay, cultural affinity from uh, um, just the tech perspective. If you, you know, the team is, is going to be working out of our office here in Seattle. There's a lot of like, if you look at the resumes and just the backgrounds, a lot of the tech team with our tech team, right? There's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of familiarity for people. Uh, you know, the Seattle tech scene is you know very Amazon centric, but it's just not that, it's not that big outside of that. So you, you tend to get a fair amount of overlap. So I think there was comfort that, you know, we had the right type of leadership uh, and technical capability and people on board to be able to, you know, understand it, build on top of it, and also just kind of onboard the team. Yeah. How compatible is the existing Flexport tech stack with Convoys? I mean, are they that compatible? A lot of times that can be one of the major challenges of integration. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's a very services driven architecture and, and ultimately we're, we're using the same cloud provider on the back end. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of overlap. It's not perfect. It doesn't overlap perfectly because it's such a service centric architecture. Like it doesn't, it doesn't need to be perfectly matched, but I mean, certainly like we're, we're, we're pretty comfortable where we'll be able to plug it all in and wire it all in. But there is like, uh, you know, that is something kind of we're working through right now. It's just how does this, what does this in-state architecture look like? Because our, our first priority is just spinning it back up, getting, getting the system running again, getting shippers back onto the platform, getting carriers back onto the platform, uh, kind of spinning like just that, just restarting the engine versus, and we're doing that though in a very thought, certainly we're very thoughtful about, okay, where are the synergies in terms of on the back end, where can we kind of use just port this over to our stack or our contracts where does that make sense and so all of, like we're working through all of that but it's not i would say it's uh you know they're both modern architectures that were built around the okay. same time so it's not there's not a dissimilarity it's not like we're it wasn't written in COBOL. yeah exactly or vb.net or you know it's like <laughs> it's not i've had that i've had that happen before yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so You've been part of an acquisition before at Uber Freight. You were there when they acquired TransPlace. And now this is a different kind of acquisition, right? You're bringing mainly the tech stack plus some staff, I assume, are moving over to being part of it. How would you compare the two? The same? Different? Yeah. So in a little more detail on the process is that we we got a license. We basically have all the IP rights and all the access to all the, the, the tech. Um, but we didn't buy a business. And that right. um, we didn't take on any liabilities, uh, you know, no payables, no AR, no liabilities, no contracts. So the inter- we did not buy a going concern. We bought tech, and then we hired in a bunch of the team for for continuity. So it's uh, a different, it's a unique type of transaction. In fact, like I've been trying to ask around to see other people that have done something very similar. This is particularly in our space. I don't think it's ever been done quite this oh. this way before. So it's a very interesting uh, setup, um, which comes with pluses and minuses. I mean, the, on the, the minus side, of course, it means we've got to restart this all kind of starting right. from zero. But the plus, it means we're starting from zero. So we can be very thoughtful about how we, we build that. Um, and on the cultural piece, it's right out of the gate. We're bringing over uh, an inch team that uh, will it is kind of the core that can restart the, the tech, get it uh, spun back up. But we don't have, uh, and again, like I said, the, the inch team, I think culturally is a pretty solid fit. Uh, you know, the leader coming over, Mike Bundy, is fantastic. He has a lot of familiarity with some of the team here. Longtime Amazon guy that's at the time at, at Convoy. So there's the cultural fit, I think, right out of the gate that makes that easier. And versus, and, and you're talking about, we're at, you know, 50 people, roughly. 
versus with the Transplace acquisition, this was like swallowing an elephant, right? Right. I think the, what's similar is that you have very complementary capabilities and that with Convoy, we're buying a capability we didn't have. Now we had started to invest in some of these capabilities, but Convoy just takes us so much farther in terms of moving us into that space and really accelerating our vision for how we go after that. With Transplace too, it was very complementary in the sense that the core TMS, the core managed transportation business, there was no uh, parallel at Uber Freight. And the core digital execution brokerage capability, there was no parallel at, at Transplace. Now they had a broker, but that broker benefits from the tech that comes over uh, with Uber Freight. Where it's vastly dissimilar is that you've got a thousand employees at Uber Freight acquiring a company with 3,000 plus headcount at Transplace. So the cultural, like you're dealing with a lot more of that kind of cultural alignment. Now I think, you know, ultimately Transplace was a, started as a technology company, it's a very ops driven company. Like the cultural, you know, it's probably 80% the same, 20% difference, and they're kind of working through those differences. But I think that from my integration, they're also benefiting from the fact that there's, you know, there's a fair amount of separation so they can manage that more incrementally. Now, with Convoy, like it's, it's, it's basically like a new business plan where you're buying that. I, I, it's, I use a lot of bad analogies, but <laughs> one that I keep going, one that I keep going back to is like you buy like a, a Formula One team that's defunct and like, you know, you, or, and then the cars are all broken and you kind of got to like spin it, spin it back up. And like, you know, you got to have the engineers to make the cars work and you got to have the specialized expertise, mm-hmm. but you're, it's a full like restart, right. And that you've got to like spin the whole thing back up. And so that's, you know, that's very unique, uh, in a state. It's very, I would say motivating in the sense that like, we know there's like nuggets of gold in this and we've not now having a very privileged view knowing how how much value we built at Uber Freight and where that really worked. And then looking at Convoy from like a new light and understanding all the value. And also, you know, we have incredibly say, motivated employees coming over that really they understand that they really, you know, they know the stakes. They want to make this work, right? It's, right. Uh, there's clearly an opportunity here. That's just a very, again, very unique situation, but very motivating in its own way because yeah, yeah it's like yeah, starting, a, you're starting a new business plan where you're kind of, you know, already... You know, you've got so, well, have so much tailwind from people know what to expect. I talked to a lot of customers already. The customers are. Let me ask a question about that. Um, first, yeah, I think the cultures between Convoy and Uber Freight pretty much in sync. Transplace and Uber Freight, eh, those are very different, different cultures. Texas, California, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but yep. um, was there much overlap in customers between Flexport and Convoy? Did you have a lot of the same? overlap where you were selling to the same customers and expanding or is it a very different client base do you know yeah there is some overlap but by and large no because in the truckload space this is something too that i've just had you know i've learned and it's very interesting about like boarding versus trucking is in trucking most brokers are working with large gka or global accounts you know portion 1000 global accounts you're, you're, at least all your scale brokers, that's like the core of their business. And similarly with uh, Convoy, if you look at their top 15 customers, it's all kind of blue chip, large enterprises, names everybody would know, right? As where with, as an NVOCC in the ocean business, Flexport is always focused more on that kind of next tier of enterprise mid-market. Uh, a lot of our customers use us as the primary provider because we have end-to-end capabilities. 
And a big part of the Flexport mission and vision is making freight very easy you know, for every shipper because forwarding particularly can be so complex. And then the large ocean liners don't like working with the small, they, right. they don't provide great service to those smaller providers. So it creates this opening for the NVOCCs. Now, the big, large global accounts will go directly to the ocean providers. Sure, sure. And there's only a handful of them. And so you, the NVOCCs, but they will also work with NVOCCs for spillover and specialized needs and all that. Uh, but the meat of the market for an NVOCC tends to be the next year down. Yeah, Flexport's go-to initially when they stopped was to be the one-stop shop for all yes. things, mainly going to that mid-market and even smaller um, for that. That makes sense. I didn't think of that as that being dramatically different, but it would be for most brokers who tend to go for a larger blue-chip client base. Is that is that an opportunity or is that a challenge? It's absolutely an opportunity. Well, opportunity for which piece? So for, for as we build out the convoy tech, it's absolutely an opportunity. I, I mean, I, that's typically an underserved market. These are shippers that they want that one-stop shop. And now, yeah, with the liver acquisition and with the convoy acquisition, we really, do, I mean, I, I've had probably 50 customer conversations in the last month. And on the fulfillment side, it's clear that, oh yeah, you, we can be a DTC. We can be a fulfillment provider if you, for your DTC, you know, needs and customers are like, great, right? I love your ocean business. Let's talk about that. Those are naturally complimentary. And then now having this conversation that, okay, now we're building out a truckload. Like, great. Right. It's not always the same person, you know, depending on the scale of the company, but, uh, there's always that interest. And I think the relationships we have because of the ocean side are so strong because on the ocean side, you tend to be one, the only provider or one of two providers. Maybe they do have some direct contracts, but they, they rely on you. They use your system. They're operating within our platform by and large. So it's a very different relationship, a starting position than you would have as a carrier where you're often just on the routing guide, right? Yeah. Yeah. And now that we can provide, you know, best in class capabilities as we build this out for truckload, it's just one more piece of that puzzle. Uh, because yes, like certainly every shipper we talk to has truckload needs. Now, you know, we are building out, we have LTL cartage traded in, in truckload. Convoy is very truckload centric. Our intent as we build this tech is to, of course, expand it into all the modes uh, and make sure we've got full coverage. So you've been through the Coyote era of that technology and then Uber Freight. Where do you see the next three to five years? Are we at the status quo for tech or where do you see it progressing? Yeah, I believe the future is already here if you look around. So I think there's a couple trends. Not evenly distributed, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. One of my favorite quotes. Yeah. Uh, because I think it's very true for trucking because it's a slow moving industry. I, I think, I, I feel like we had this conversation a while back about TMSs and how like, uh, maybe it was a couple of years ago that still like 50% of shippers had a TMS. Um, just how slow that technology takes to adopt, right? And so I do think the digital model with owner operators, it's clearly, there's clearly an advantage there. And I think it's been in certain pockets out of the gate just because that's where the advantage is strong enough, but I really think it has advantages across all segments and so it will continue to expand. I also think on the other side, of, so I think empowering owner operators will continue to increase. Another counter trend that's been very interesting through the pandemic is that not only owner operators, but brokers. You also saw an explosion of small brokers, right? which you would think 
Yeah, even as broke, so brokers as a segment has continued to expand, and then broke large brokers have continued to consolidate. But then you also saw this long tail explosion, uh, and I do think that you know it's hard to predict how technology will empower different actors in the space. I think what you, you got to look at is where does it, where are their economies of scale, or where are there like specific advantages that large tech advancements yeah. you know, provide. And I do think on these closed marketplaces where you've got owner operator empowerment. Like the person that can keep the owner operator moving the most is going to have an advantage uh, because you'll become the first. You're, you're the first app they're going to open every day. Like, and I do think there are cost advantages and service advantages to that. But I think there's also there will continue to persist you know, mid-sized carriers and large carriers. I think that's where brokers will continue to play a role. I don't know. Like I don't want to. I do think those segments will continue to have additional competition at the bottom end. Um, I think that like the mid-sized carriers, I haven't, I, I think that if they can get the right technology to empower them and you know, they can stay, they can stay in the mix, but similarly with the mid-sized brokers, like it's gonna, if you're a hundred million dollar, $200 million broker and you're trying to build your own tech stack and it's going to be increasingly difficult to compete. So I think that's where companies like, like mastery who are trying to build these, you know, next generation platforms and the back end for carriers and brokers have an opening because these these uh mid the middle of the market is going to have an increasingly difficult time keeping up with a technology bar which is continuing to rise so i think that's real but i i think that also has created an opening in the market for companies to step in and fill those gaps from pricing or from just you know operating platform or, or whatnot it's interesting there's um you look at the carrier market right and that is the long tail the little broker market and you're right that just exploded it is shrinking. We've had a lot of a lot of uh, brokers leave, but the barriers to entry to be a broker is even less than the barriers of entry to be a truck driver, right? It's, yeah. It takes a phone and a computer connection. However, one thing we've noticed at, at DAT is if you look at the whole carrier continuum, during the pandemic, uh, owner-operators really grew. The large carriers grew by like 4 to 5%. The middle actually declined a little bit. It was really weird. But it's, it's bifurcating because the smaller carriers are more flexible and they can they find the hometown business, but as they get bigger, they have to start entering the spot market, and they're not. Yeah, the big guys handle. Yeah, I wonder if the same thing's happening with brokers. I remember Dan wrote an editorial um, back, gosh, six eight months ago, saying consolidation of the market, and what he meant was the brokerage platform market, not the carrier market, because I see that happening. I can see platform coming together, be maybe three or four, five, half a dozen. But not the ten to twelve thousand that are there now. And I'm trying to be very mindful of that as we look at this technology that we just bought and where those capabilities are, because Convoy had their Convoy for Brokers product, and they were having a lot of success with that. And I do think that's where, uh, where how how players the roles in the market I think will will evolve. And this this and it's interesting because like the the bimodal distribution, I do think what will happen is you have all these platforms that engage individual actors to like build businesses and sure. build capability, like, you know, build, because I don't, I think what doesn't go away, and this is something that I've always believed, but I, I think we got a lot of heat on early on is this whole idea of like, like, you know, we're building the black box, the board, like the, it's like, versus like, what about the human element and the fact, I don't think the human element ever goes away. And I do think, uh, there's, a, I've, I've, as I've gotten deeper and deeper to this market, you just see that when you have that local presence of an operator who can go down and talk to you or is across the street, there's always a, like a lift to that. Um, 
and it's hard. You can't ever totally displace that with tech and people want to like, there's just always going to be a cohort in the market that wants to know if they got right, something right. they can reach out to and engage with. Now, if you can hit that person on the other side, if you can streamline their back end and streamline the procurements, you know, streamline all their operations and they can focus more of their time on that, those relationship side, then you're effectively building like, you know, agents or distributed sales organizations, or, you know, it's like you can build a business and brokerages always brokerages in general. If you look across all the like 50 to billion dollar brokers, I would say 95% of them were built on just raw salesmanship and typically have like a very sales oriented leader at the top. And so like, I think those profiles will still have a channel for success, but they will just have to be very thoughtful about how they architect all the pieces in the back end to empower that. At this time, do you think there's a dramatic difference between the Uber Freight operates and say C.H. Robinson operate? I know they come from very, very different routes, but they seem to be kind of moving to the same place. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to speak too much about CH. I've, I've, man, I've, I hear a lot of anecdotes. I heard a lot of feedback. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't, from a sophistication of their execution platform automation, I, I do not believe they're at the same level, okay. but I don't want to misspeak. I haven't had visibility to that. I know they've got a huge investment in tech, a lot of very smart people. Like I'm sure that they're in range. But do you think in general there there is a gap between traditional brokers who grew up that way and the ones who came from a tech background? Yeah, I think there's a meeting in the middle there in the sense that they're like like the same challenges I I outlined at Coyote and that you're kind of working from uh, a, like rebuilding from a legacy versus building from zero. You're always going to be able to move a little faster towards the end state. Yeah, it's easier to move when you don't have a history. That's so much, because if you have a, that's, that's a challenge. So let me ask a question about the elephant in the room. Uh, Flexport's gone through some leadership changes recently. What can you tell us about that? And what are you focused on amid all these changes? What's next for Flexport? Yeah. And so, yeah, I I came on, on one leader. We did, when Ryan, of course, uh, came back, Uh, actually, it's been great working with Ryan because he brings a lot of founder energy. Uh, He's just, he's also very uh, commercial and uh, shipper oriented which in terms of what I'm focusing on. So one is we're spending a lot of time. We, we made a lot of changes recently just to reorganize around the shipper, make sure that we're giving a lot of autonomy to our teams uh, to kind of focus on just one point of contact. And I think we had been moving in a direction which was a little more fine slice. Um, and this is a, a push and pull that I, I've seen probably in every organization that I've been through is you... Uh, we start to look at the cost of the the shipper team, be it account management and operators or however you have it structured. And you say, okay, well, how can I start carving this out? And we you know, move scheduling over here, move tracking over there, move this piece over here, you know, move this piece to Manila, move this piece to you know, Morocco or whatever. And at some point, and we did, it, you know, we did went through a lot of this at Uber as well because they had a huge BPO capability and outsource capability. So like, how do we leverage that? And then you start to realize what those trade-offs are in terms of, okay, the shipper's not having a great experience anymore. So uh, we've been very focused on like reallocating, like refocusing the team, giving a lot, moving a bit more to a generalist model with the full ownership of the squad where they own the shipper. So that's been a big focus and just like re-engaging with our, spending a lot of time with our customers and our shippers and being very kind of commercially oriented. I think we lost a little bit of that. I think Ryan has always been very shipper and commercial oriented. And, you know, he really built the business because he was a shipper, because he understood the problems and he had that frontline intuition. And so how do we just reinvigorate that? Uh, and the other is just like both with, as we build up 
uh, convoy and as we think about the legacy business we you know this is a tough market so i think everybody has similar focus on just how do we get very bottom line oriented how do we make sure that we're like thoughtful about uh, managing the business right which and and honestly like as i look at convoy that's one of those things that's particularly exciting is because now i've you know been able to look under the covers and see all the and like oh there is a there's a real business here um and if we just focus on that like that's uh, a huge opportunity and i think similarly just you know, kind of across the market but uh so focusing on the customer they're just focusing on, on the fundamentals right i mean those are the, probably the the two biggest areas for us are you going to rebrand convoy the tech that's an open question so oh, man. Uh, to be determined uh i mean certainly from a shipper side like we are flexboard we come to the table with flexboard and so for existing shippers uh, they, they know us it's flexboard right and uh, yeah to be determined just the name just the name flexport suggests global ocean rail yeah. through a port trucks don't go through ports right except for <laughs> yeah but it's uh it's interesting last question then i'll let you go how do you see the truckload market in 2024? We've been inverted for over 18, almost 20 months now, spot below contract. The gap stayed roughly 30 to 40 cents for the last year between the two. What do you see happening? Yeah, I, um, I'd i say neutral to slightly up is, is where my my yeah. consent, my opinion is now. So I think everybody in this space should be planning around a flat market and hoping for an up market. Yeah. Well, not shippers. Shippers are having a great time. They're enjoying the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah. All right, Bill, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, that was good. That was good to catch up. All right, I'll let you get back, and then everyone stay tuned for a market update. Thanks. This is the truckload market update for 14 December 2023. In dry van, we saw the change in active rates as a plus 0.5%, change in spot rates, negative 0.2%, and current levels of replacement rates, negative 7.7%. In temp control, active contract rates dropped 4.1%, spot rates dropped 4.5%, and the replacement rates negative 5.7%. In intermodal, the active contract rates actually rose 3.9%, as did the spot rates for intermodal to 0.4%, and the replacement rates dropped a large negative 13.7%. In flatbed, we saw the active rates drop at 3.4%, the spot rates drop 1.8%, and the replacement rates are at negative 3.7%. Now, again, these numbers are for the two most previous weeks, uh, 30 November to 14 December. Now, the takeaways that we have from this is, note that the replacement rates are negative. Intermodal is obviously the biggest one. The others are in their, you know, single digits, but that's continuing. They're getting a little tighter. They're approaching parity. Now, the gap between spot and contract has stayed pretty constant, roughly 30 cents a mile national average for both drive and attempt control. The big change I think over the last several weeks, is that fuel has fallen below $4 a gallon. This is the first time since July, and it's actually at early 2022 levels prior to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So I think overall, we're seeing the market kind of level out. We're still debating and, and trying to understand 
when the market will revert. We know it will eventually. The question is, is it in 2024? Is it in the second half? Is it at the end of 2024? And that is something we are still working on. So that's the status of the truckload market update. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this episode of The Freight Find. The Freight Find podcast is hosted by myself, Chris Kaplis, and is produced and edited by DATIQ. For more information or to hear previous episodes, please visit our website at dat.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to The Freight Find wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on The Freight Find or suggestions for what you'd like to hear in the future, send an email to me at chris.capless at dat.com. Finally, from all of us at The Freight Find, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Thank you.